Well, as I said earlier, my name is Tom Harkaway. I'm one of the elders here. Um, if I was in trouble, you'd call me Thomas William Harkaway. Uh, I, I was raised Catholic, and at, it, I think they still have this tradition. When you, you take your first communion, you pick another name. So I picked Peter. So if you really want to get my attention, you say Thomas William Peter Harkaway. Uh, so um, my name is Thomas. Of course, I want to talk about Thomas the disciple. Um, I wasn't named after Thomas the disciple. Uh, that would have been a common name for a Catholic. And as you work your way forward in history, you know, I'm going through the Thomases that I remember growing up. Uh, the first one I came to about in the 1100s was uh, Thomas Becket. Anybody know who Thomas Becket was? He was the Archbishop of Canterbury. The king appointed him or got him into that position, figuring he's a friend, he's going to help us out. And it was just the opposite, and he ends up getting murdered. I wasn't named after Thomas Becket. And then maybe in the 1200s, the next one is Thomas Aquinas. Most people will be familiar with Thomas Aquinas. Great philosopher, great religious thinker. It wasn't named after him. Uh, well, let's, let's go quite a bit forward. Let's go... 1776, Thomas Jefferson. Everyone knows Thomas Jefferson, writer of the Declaration of Independence. I wasn't named for him. Um, Thomas Edison is another one that I remember. Thomas Edison uh, was my hero growing up. You know, I remember seeing the movie with Mickey Rooney, and it was just, I really loved everything about Thomas Edison. Electricity and all the inventions and stuff. And I became an electrical engineer, maybe because of his influence on my early thinking. It wasn't named for him. A um, few years ago when my grandson was maybe six or seven, and those of you that have little boys, and maybe girls too of that age, or uh, grandkids of that age, you'll probably know about Thomas the Train. Um, I don't think he was around when I was born, so I probably wasn't named after him. <laughs> I was actually named after a guy whose name was Thomas Matskevich, Tommy Matskevich. And it's one of those names that just kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> and I never knew him. He was a friend of my grandfather on my dad's side. And my dad was really, he was really friendly with my granddad, I guess, my, with my father. My father would go visit him when he was elder. And I, he must have died very early because I never remember seeing him. Um, interestingly enough, he was Ukrainian. Matskevich is a Ukrainian name. And my grandfather was Ukrainian. He came from Ukraine too. It wasn't Harkaway, which sounds English. It was Harkave. That was the way you pronounced it. So I was named after uh, Tommy Matskevich. Well, we're going to look at Thomas the Disciple today, and I don't claim to have a lot of um, attributes that Thomas had. Uh, Thomas has an interesting story, though. Um, the first thing when you say Thomas the Disciple, most people are going to say, well, doubting Thomas. And we use that. Um, almost in a derogatory way. If you don't believe something that you ought to believe that I've told you you should believe, then you're a doubting Thomas. Um, and, uh, Thomas is mischaracterized by, by that, if that's the only thing we, we remember about him. So we're going to look at three episodes in Thomas's life. Thomas is only mentioned once in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the first three Gospels. And it's in the list of the disciples when they're listing the 12 disciples. He shows up in John quite a few times, and I can't help that think that maybe John and him were kind of friendly, were kind of good buddies. 
Um, so we're going to look at three different episodes that's going to give us not only a deeper look at Thomas and what he was like, but also every time Thomas shows up, we learn something significant about Jesus, which I find really fascinating. So the first episode, give you a little background, uh, in chapter 7 in, in the book of John, Gospel of John, the, the Jews were wanting to take his life, Jesus' life. Uh, these are just a scattering of verses. Uh, he asked, why are you trying to kill me? Uh, some wanted to seize him. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. We are stoning you for blasphemy. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped. That's verses uh, chapter 7, 8, and then into 10. And then at the end of chapter 10, uh, then Jesus went back across the Jordan. So this was happening on the, the west side of the Jordan. Here's the Jordan River. And uh, he goes across the other side of the Jordan. And the implication is he's going over there to get away from these people that are trying to kill him. In fact, he has a, a quite successful ministry over there. Quite a few people believe in him over there. And then we get to uh, chapter 11. Uh, now, a, nam, a man named Nazareth was sick. A, a man named Lazarus, Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus, Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That sounds like a disjunction there. That doesn't quite make sense. But Jesus had a purpose. Uh, continuing on, then he said to his disciples, remember he's on the other side of the Jordan, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples, obviously a little confused, says, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. And Jesus had to be a little more clear about it. He says, um, he says, uh, well, the, the gospel says, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Um, again, a little bit of a disconnect there. What's going on here? If Jesus loved, loved Lazarus, what's going on? Uh, then Thomas, the one called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let's, let us go also that we may die with him. So they, they expected to have trouble when they went back. Um, so what is, this, what is this, this little snippet here? What does this reveal about Thomas? Um, well, Didymus means twin, so we, we may infer that uh, Thomas had a twin. There's no record of his twin sibling. We don't know for sure if he had a twin. He may have just been called or had a nickname, the twin. Maybe he looked like one of the other disciples. We don't know that, but the, the name does mean twin. 
Um, and you, you, you can take at first light, you can take Thomas's comment as, oh, well, let's go with him and die. You know, it's just kind of a flippant or a sarcastic remark. And in no way is that what, what Thomas is saying. Thomas was, was loyal. He was going to follow Jesus where, wherever Jesus went. Uh, Thomas had some courage, right? He was going to go with Jesus and face whatever was going to be going on there. So he had some courage. And uh, ultimately, Thomas uh, believed Jesus. He had seen Jesus work over three years of ministry, and, and he trusted him. He trusted that Jesus was doing what he was being called to do. Uh, what, is, what does this re- reveal about Jesus as we look at this? What do we know about Jesus? Uh, well, his ultimate goal was to bring glory to God. And the scripture says he, he's, he wants to bring glory to God, the Father. Um, it, he, he also knew the outcome of what was going to happen. And thus the parable of when you're walking in the light, you can see where you're going. You don't stumble. But when you're walking at night and there is no light, you can stumble. He knew ahead of time. He had a, a spiritual light. He had a, such a close uh, relationship with his father. He, he knew ahead of time. He was going forward in the light. He was not going to stumble. He knew what was happening. Uh, you think there's some omniscience going on there. He knew ahead of time. Um, and, and other than bring glory to his father, to God the Father, he also wanted to strengthen the faith of his disciples. It says that he went there um, so that they, they would believe. They would believe in more about him. That was true. But that's not really where the story ends. I mean, that's significant in itself. But we need to follow on. When they get back to Bethany, which is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, uh, the, Martha saw him coming and, uh, in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. He's showing great faith in Jesus and his ability. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection that comes on the last day. So she believed in an ultimate resurrection. And she says, I know he's going to rise again. Well, Jesus had something different in mind. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. This is a tremendous statement by Martha of what she came to realize through this packed statement of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And the disciples were there. They were seeing this interchange. John recorded this interchange. So, and, and, and I think in that he, he was trying to deepen their faith by giving them a deeper understanding of who he was and why he had come. First off, Physical death is not the end. Life doesn't end. Ultimate life doesn't end when you die. He says, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Everyone's going to die. But not everyone is going to live eternally in fellowship with God. Uh, 
So physical death is not the end. Eternal life resurrection comes through belief in him. And he was going to, again, solidify that thought when he himself was resurrected from the dead. Um, he was sent by God. And through Martha's confession, she believed that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the one that was to come. But not only that, he was God incarnate. My Lord and, and the Son of God. He was the Son of God here in the flesh. It wasn't just a spirit, wasn't just a, a mystery. Here he was in the flesh, the Son of God incarnate. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So there's the first episode. A lot to learn about Thomas and a lot to learn about Jesus, not only through his own words, but through the testimony of, of Martha, what she said about him. So let's move on to the second episode. We find that in John chapter 14. Um, John chapter 14, a little bit of background. Uh, in chapter 12, um, Jesus was starting to get more explicit about the fact that he was going to die. He still kind of shrouded his words on a little bit of mystery and a little bit of a riddle, but he was, he was clearly indicating to the disciples, and they didn't want to believe that, right? Of course, they didn't believe that was even possible. And then in chapter 13 through 16, this is what happens at, at the Last Supper when they're celebrating the Passover, the Thursday night before the Passover, which would be that Friday. Uh, and Jesus is sharing his final thoughts with the disciples in, in the upper room. He, he knew what he was sharing was going to be confusing to them. He, he knew this was kind of stuff that was hard to understand. Uh, but he promised during this discourse that, that the Holy Spirit would come, the Comforter would come, and would make this all clear to them later. So this is the interchange that goes on. Uh, Chapter 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. It's not a question. It's a statement. You know the place where I am going. And Thomas pipes up and says, um, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. Uh, well, what does this reveal about Thomas? You know, the possible responses, I just kind of thinking about, if I was a disciple there, what, what, a, what would have been my response to all this mumbo-jumbo, you know, stuff you just didn't understand that Jesus was saying? Well, um, they could have been, you know, elbowing the never. What did he say? What did he mean by that? Um, or, you know, I think of uh, uh, going to a philosophy lecture of this well-known philosopher, and these students are all kind of laid back. They've just eaten dinner, and... He's spouting off some deep philosophical stuff, and they're just sitting back and say, man, that's heavy. You know, no idea at all what it means, but they knew it was, it was deep, right? Um, or maybe 
they were thinking, and I've certainly thought this when I was in a class, um, I really want to ask a question, but if I do it, I'm going to look stupid. Right? Everybody understands what he's saying except me. I'm not going to ask that question. And what I was taught is there are no stupid questions. There's only stupid answers. So it's never wrong to ask a question. When, it, when I was at a, a, the, the church that launched Living Water here, there was a young, young guy that came and joined, not joined, he was in the, involved in the youth group for maybe a month or two, and then he went off to join a group called The Way, which is a cult. And I remember telling him, there's no way to convince him, I remember telling him, if they won't answer your questions, right, don't be afraid to ask questions. If they won't answer your questions, honestly, get out. I never heard back from him, I don't know what happened, but you should be able to ask deep, hard questions. And Thomas wasn't afraid to do that. Uh, so Thomas was inquisitive, right? He wanted to know the answer. But he also wanted to follow Jesus. He was being pragmatic. He wanted to know the way. How are we going to follow you? You know, you go four miles this way, turn left, and then you find the hill. And, you know, he wanted to know the way. He wanted the directions. Uh, and... and he also wanted to follow Jesus, not just to follow him. He wanted to follow him because Jesus said, you're going to follow him. He was trying to be obedient. He wanted to be obedient, and he didn't know how to do that unless he had the directions, the way to get where Jesus was going. Uh, what does this little interchange you know, share with us about Jesus? Well, Jesus clearly says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to know God the Father is to know me. If you want to know the truth of how the world works and, and, and the truth about spiritual matters, come to me. I am the truth. And through Jesus, uh, real life is possible. And I, I think probably the reference here is to eternal life, like I am the resurrection and the life, but also to life here on earth. Life has meaning when you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Life has hope outside of what the hope the world and the meaning the world could give us. And knowing Jesus is the same as knowing God the Father. You want to know what God the Father's like? Know what Jesus is like. That's what Jesus is saying. Third episode. Well, finally we get to the, the Doubting Thomas episode. Did I... Click something, then I'm behind now. There we go. So background here is, uh, found the, the episode is found in John 20. The background, we'll just read the scripture. On the evening of that first day of the week, this is the Monday after the crucifixion and the burial on the prior Friday, on the evening of the first day of the week, well, that would have been Sunday. I mean, not Monday, it would have been Sunday. It would have been the first day of the week. After the Sabbath, on Saturday. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Um, so just some observations here. Um, they were in a locked room. You know, they had gone in and locked the door. They were afraid the Jewish leaders were going to find him. They just crucified Christ two days before. And, and Jesus came to them. He didn't appear to them. He came to them, right? What, is, what does that imply? You know, if he's just a spirit or a ghost, you know, he could appear to them. It says Jesus came to them. And I think at first they could not believe that Jesus was really there. They kind of had the same doubt that Thomas had. I'm pretty sure of that. So what did Jesus do? Why did he show him, show them his hands and his side? Why did he show him the words? He was identifying himself as the real deal. He was the one that they knew and loved and had followed for three years. He was giving them physical proof that he was there physically, not just a ghost or, or a spirit that they could sense or see. Um, so why did Thomas want to see his hands in his side? Did he come up with that at his own? Or when they told him that they had seen Jesus, did they tell him, tell Thomas, that he showed us his hands and he showed us our, his side? It was him, I tell you, it was really him. And Thomas says, I need to see the same thing. So Thomas wasn't any different than the other. He just didn't happen to be there the first time. But they told him why they believed that Christ was there in the flesh, in the body, because he had showed him his wounds. And Thomas really wanted the, 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 the same evidence that Jesus had given to the other disciples. Uh, going on in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what does this reveal about Thomas? Well, Thomas was probably a bit of a skeptic, right? He didn't directly believe the other 11. No, it's hard to believe that Jesus, who had been crucified and died, he saw him die on the cross. He saw him get carried away and put into the tomb. It, it'd be hard to believe that he was really back alive. You know, even Lazarus, when, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, they could have said, well, he's just in a coma or he's asleep or whatever, you know. And Jesus, Jesus didn't go on and lay hands on him. He just opened up the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. So they could kind of rationalize that, that Lazarus maybe wasn't really dead. So believing that he was would have been a, a hard to believe. And this is the same case here. So I think Thomas was a bit of a skeptic. Um, he, he, want, he based his belief on evidence, and he had three years' worth of evidence, right? Three years of living and following Jesus. He had a lot of evidence, but this was a big one to believe just on, on faith. Um, I think Thomas would have made a good engineer, so maybe I was named after Thomas since I'm an engineer. You know, good engineer. Well, I'm an okay engineer, so. But he wanted evidence, and I thought of an, an example of... Uh, 
when I worked for a computer company, um, I went down to Houston for a trade show when we went to the Space Center at Houston. And they had the, the Saturn V rocket, that's the rocket that sent men to the moon. They, they had that laid out, it's still there, they've covered it over now because it was kind of corroded and stuff, so it's, now it's nicely laid out. It was laid out and you could walk the length of it. You know how long that rocket was, the Saturn V rocket with all the things on it? 363 feet. If you go to a football game, that's from the back of one end zone to the back of the other end zone. That's how long that thing was. And if you stand at the end where the, the hot stuff comes out, it's 30 foot tall. As tall as a three-story house, 30 foot tall. If you saw that without having ever seen evidence of the moon landing, would you believe that they could get that thing up in the air? It's seven and a half million pounds. You know, and I believe that they did it because I had seen the evidence. I'd seen the videos of it taking off. I'd seen the men on the moon, and people still argue that that didn't really happen, right? That was all done in a studio. But I didn't have any trouble believing that because I had seen the evidence. And I think Thomas was a little bit like that. He wanted good, hard evidence to, to base his faith on. Um, but Thomas was committed to Jesus nonetheless. I think he was committed to him before this happened. It's not like he lost his faith. He just couldn't believe that last little bit of what had happened. Um, so what was Thomas having doubts about? Um, was he doubting that Jesus was, wasn't who he said he was? Um, was he doubting that Jesus could be trusted? How can I trust this guy? He allowed himself to be killed. Or uh, Did he believe that the disciples and him had been foolish to follow Jesus? It just ended in his death. And I don't think he considered any of those things. I think he, the thing he had a hard time believing was that Jesus had physically been resurrected, even though Jesus said he was going to be. He had been physically resurrected and his body was there. Uh, what do we learn about Jesus? Uh, Jesus understood Thomas, and he provided the evidence that Thomas needed. Right? He didn't hold back. He didn't say, no, Thomas, I'm not going to show you. My hand's on my side. I'm embarrassed by him. You know? uh, Thomas's confession indicates that Thomas believed at that point that Jesus was not only Lord, they had called him Lord or Rabbi. Lord, someone that they looked up to, someone they wanted to be learned learn from, someone they, they followed. They had always called him Lord, but he says, my Lord and God. At that moment, he recognized that Jesus was God. Lord, a person to trust, obey, and to follow. God, a person who displays the attributes of God the Father. Jesus was so close to God that you could see God's attributes in Jesus. And that's why we believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. You can't distinguish Jesus and his attributes from God's attributes. You can distinguish the incarnate Christ, the body, because God the Father doesn't have a body, but in terms of the, the way they acted and, and the right and justice, all those things, you, you can't distinguish Jesus from, from God the Father. And that's why Jesus said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I think maybe at that moment, 
At that moment, Thomas may have reflected back on those two prior episodes. Jesus was the resurrection and the life, and he himself had truly been resurrected. And Jesus claimed that if you know him, you know the Father. And it's an interesting question. Do you think Thomas took the opportunity to go up to Jesus and poke his finger in the nail hole or his side? I don't think he did. In fact, I don't think the other disciples did. They didn't really want any part of it. But it, it, like it hit Jesus when he, it hit Thomas when he saw Jesus there. He didn't need to do that. He immediately proclaims, it's like a, a flash of insight. You're my Lord and you're my God. Well, we, we all fall under the blessed are those who have not seen and believed, right? I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't reveal himself to people in a dream or in other in a vision and, or other ways. I think that does happen in, in cases. Um, I've never seen the physical Jesus. Um, so I think most of us, 99.999% of us, fall under that. Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. Was Jesus saying that people need to believe without any evidence? No, he specifically says, blessed are those who have not seen me, but still believe. So it's this, this the, 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 the attribute of being able to see, the, the vision, being able to see Jesus, and we haven't seen him physically. So that's not what he was saying. He's not saying that, well, just believe because I said you should believe. What evidence today leads people to believe in Jesus? Well, number one is the record found in Scripture. When you read, Scripture is reliable. Historically, it depicts uh, events that have been confirmed through other sources. The Bible is a historical document that is, that is true. So when you read through the things that the Bible says about Jesus and the things he did and the life of the, the, the disciples and what happened in the church, when you read through that, that's evidence that Christ really lived and he did something that changed, changed the world. Another way we get evidence is through the testimony of a personal friend. And they may use the Bible to go through how they came to believe, but if you know and you trust that person and they share something from their heart, that's a way that you receive evidence that this is really true. It's really affected this person that I like, that I know well. Uh, I think for me, I, I, I came to Jesus in an engineering kind of way. Uh, you know, it was no light bulb moment. My roommate in college was a crazy Baptist. Um, and he got involved in the church. He served. He was, he was just a wonderful guy. Uh, but I saw how he lived. And I saw how his friends lived. You know, they just lived with something different than what I had. I could sense that. They had, they demonstrated the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, 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 love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, whatever. They, they demonstrated that. They demonstrated that they had hope for the future. Even though times were tough and things were going on that weren't good, they still had this hopeful outlook. And they demonstrated unity. 
And I think that's the prime purpose of the church, or one of the prime purposes of the church, is to demonstrate to the world the unity we have, not that we're uniform, not that we're identical, but the unity we have about this person, Jesus Christ, and what we believe he has done for us. Um, I think some people come to, come to Christ when they finally recognize that they're helpless, right? They finally recognize that I, I can't do the things I want to do. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to this. I'm, I'm just down in the dumps, and there's, there's nowhere else to turn. I think, I think sometimes people turn to religion or Jesus that way. But usually there's going to be another person involved in helping them transition from that lowest point in life to here's how you get hope. And all of those are, are really the work of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he didn't leave us high and dry on our own. He said, I'm going to send another, a comforter. And the role of the comforter is not only to indwell in us and to help us become more Christ-like and to convict us in those areas where we're not. The Holy Spirit isn't work in the world trying to testify towards Christ at all. So there's plenty of evidence to believe that Jesus is who he says he was. Some people choose to accept that evidence. Some people choose to say, oh, it's just a fable. He was just a person. You know, he died on the cross. Come on. So maybe you're struggling in your own faith today, or maybe this is new stuff to you. Um, I would would ask that you would just prayerfully um, consider the claims that Jesus made in these three passages that we read, just incredible claims. Uh, and he wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't insane. He, he, he knew who he was, and the disciples knew who he was through this interaction that he had with them. They came to fully believe that not only was Jesus their Lord, someone that, that they should follow and emulate, he, he was their God as well. He's the ultimate source of everything that we can see and hear and feel. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the testimony of Thomas. Um, he was no different than the other disciples, although this episode kind of points out to him, points out to us that uh, he had doubts, but we all have doubts. Even after we become Christians, we have doubts. We have things that don't add up, that don't make sense. Jesus said things that, that are just hard to understand until we've matured in our faith and spent time with other uh, Christians and, and worked through these things together. Jesus knew that. We'd ask that you just, in, in our minds, do, do what Jesus wanted to do for the disciples. He wanted to strengthen their faith, strengthen the belief that they had in him by teaching them more about himself. We, we ask today that we would take those lessons to heart and the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to to understand more fully uh, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. In your name we pray, amen.